This morning, we heard two passages of scripture that many of us are familiar with, sort of a preacher's dream. The gospel passage is known as the Beatitudes, also known as the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew, or the Blesseds. It's part of the scripture that has made its way outside of the church into the secular world and shown up in gift stores, on cards, and home decor wall art. The Old Testament passage from Micah is also familiar to many, especially if social justice is important. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture, like so many, and it seems to be the favorite of many others, having achieved the rare status of bumper sticker. Do justice, love mercy and kindness, walk humbly with God. It's such a great phrase that it's even used as personal mission statements, and it can roll off the tongue with ease. Do justice, love mercy and kindness, walk humbly with God. We are familiar with it, and it is important and challenging to as a reminder to how we should be in the world. Because it is so familiar, it runs the risk of getting separated from its context. So this morning, we'll take a look at the circumstances that were, that were going on when this passage was written. This passage is about 2,800 years old. It is attributed to an 8th century prophet named Micah, who was from southwestern Judah, west of Hebron. It was written about the same time as the book of Isaiah, a much longer book that we often quote during Advent. But Micah also comes to contribute during Advent with a passage that says, To you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you were small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Micah was living at a time of unrest through the reign of three kings of Judah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. He is focused on repentance and social justice. They were facing very, very difficult times. Externally, the nation of Assyria had captured Damascus and Samaria. The city of Jerusalem was under siege. Internally, there was deep corruption in government and in economic leadership. Bribes and backroom deals were common. Businessmen and other merchants cheated on their customers with alarming regularity. The poor were being crushed and bore an unfair burden at the hands of those in power. Does that sound familiar to anyone besides me? Before we get to that scripture that we know so well, do justice, love mercy and kindness, walk humbly with God. Micah preaches about sin and punishment. We don't use that three-letter S word too often here in the Episcopal Church because of what it has become to be associated with, but it's still an important word. Every time we fail, when we miss that mark where God has called us to be, it's sin. We don't need to hide ourselves in shame, but rather return to the one who liberates us from it. And these people were steeped in sin and punishment was coming. They had rejected God. The coming punishment would be coming associated with their sin because actions have consequences and the consequences for them would be severe. 
Even so, there is always hope for the future. A remnant would form the nucleus of a new Israel. Its leader would be a true shepherd, one who brings peace. The invitation to return to the way of life in harmony with the dream of God is a response to a nation in deep repentance and desire to be blessed by God as part of God's invitation to the nation of Israel. And God is reminding them of God's faithful care for them, and we hear their response to God. Sometimes when things are really tough, it's important to remember the work of God and the love of God that has brought us this far. Or as the saying goes, the Lord has brought us a mighty long way. Sometimes we need to remember that. So Micah offers a brief history to the people of Judah, somewhat satirically, to understand why this nation has turned their back on the living God as he has instructed them to live. God brings this controversy of why people behave in such an evil fashion in response to the loving kindness of God before all of creation and invites them to do the same. From God's perspective, he says, oh, my people, what have I done to you, essentially, for you to behave this way, steeped in evil, injustice, selfishness? In what way have I wearied you? Have I become too much for you to bear? Answer me. Or how did I make your life so terrible? Could we start from when I delivered you from slavery, how I brought you up from Egypt, redeemed you from the house of bondage, and sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam? Oh, my people, remember how that king, King Balak of Moab, devised evil against you when Balaam, the son of Peor, with a talking donkey, answered him. And do you remember what happened at Shittim to Gilgal? That you would not remember the saving acts of the Lord your God. As I read it again, I noticed a name that I had skipped over so many times, overshadowed in my rush to get to the do justice, love mercy, and kindness, walk humbly phrase. As the goodness of God is recounted, it's not just a list of people and places, but it's more like titles to remember the story of God in their history. Moses, Aaron, Miriam, Balak, Balaam, Shittim. When we think of the deliverance of the tribes of Israel from Egyptian bondage, we highlight Moses. But Micah remembers that God sent them three leaders, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. In calling the people to remember the miraculous work of God, a woman shows up. Now, I never noticed that she was part of the saving work of God to be remembered, but Micah did. Upon discovering her in the passage, I wondered how could I have missed her for literally decades. And so I ran across in my studies a sermon titled, What We Can Learn from Miriam from Micah. And I thought, I've hit Peter. But alas, the only thing the writer could share was that even though Miriam was highly intelligent, creative, and resourceful, she ended up being an old maid because she wouldn't stay in a subordinate position, and she should have hid her intelligence to snag a man and be the housewife God intended every woman to be. Yikes! Clearly, I won't be using him in the future. 
This was not the useful resource I thought it would be. But he did deepen my understanding that Miriam was absolutely brilliant. She stepped outside the norm, sacrificed what would have brought her comfort, and faced criticism to become the person God called her to be. And if we are to become the people God calls us to be, we may need to be just a bit like Miriam, a little bit brilliant, being willing to step outside the norm, sacrifice our comfort, and face criticism. Without Miriam, there would have been no Moses. He would have been killed in the infanticide that Pharaoh instituted. He would not have been nursed by his own mother for several years. He would not have known his brothers and sisters. He would not have been adopted into Pharaoh's household, which provided him the best education and understanding of government that he would need years later. That's only part of what we can learn from Miriam's presence on this list. Every person and location served to remind them of the greater story where God and they interacted over time and place. And when God says, how have I wearied you? You can hear the pain in God's questioning them. In the words of theologian, Dr. Sidmanson, the great God who carried you through the wilderness is now a burden to you? Ah, uh, and what is surprising is that as people hear the words of the prophet Micah, they seek ways to repent, to change their ways, to think about life differently, asking how they can return to the relationship that will please God. What shall I do to come before the Lord and bow myself before the Most High? But being so far from what God had asked them to do, having lived so differently, so far apart from the ways of God, they remember things to do first from the law of Moses and from the nations around them as they become ever more desperate. Shall I bring burnt offerings, a calf, tender, only a year old? Or how about not just one calf, but thousands of rams? Maybe oil, thousands of oil. No, 10,000 rivers of oil. Or maybe we should do like the Moabites used to do and return to infant sacrifice. Extreme measures that God had condemned but that had seeped into their culture. Should I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? What shall I do to become right with God again? And Moses, excuse me, Micah steps right into that breach and answers the question. God calls for a change of heart, and that's what's important. We do all the right things, that's important, but first we must come from a place where our hearts have been changed. That word is repentance, to turn from the inside out. Because when our hearts are right, right actions follow. There's generosity of spirit, there's an understanding of human frailty, there's tenderness and kindness, the respect of the dignity of every person. When the heart is not right, more and more rules are needed. 
Well, I don't think we need more laws. I think we need more repentance. We don't need more legislation, because if that was the whole answer, it would nearly be heaven on earth. We need more care for each other. Legislation can only take us so far. Laws point out our failings. We need something greater. We need to take repentance seriously and allow our hearts to be fashioned according to the goodness of God. And that will change the systems. That way we will find new hope. That stops the violence. That helps us love our neighbor. And that helps us grow deeper in God. In loving God first and loving our neighbor. And then we will have the power to do justice to love mercy and kindness, and to walk humbly with God.